0: Welcome to Future Ed, the show that explores the future of education. I'm your host, Peter Croft. Our guest on this episode is Bob Donaldson. Bob co-founded Wilson Hill Academy, an online school with students around the world. In this episode, Bob explains why he started an online school, the benefits and challenges of the online model, and how it got off the ground. He discusses some of the tools the school uses and the technologies that have helped as the school has developed. Bob talks about the approach the school takes to education, which types of families a school like Wilson Hill is best suited for, as well as the effect of the global pandemic on what they are doing. He shares his views on the future of education in general and why there is a need for more online schools. Bob has a long history in the education space. And his experience in online education has given him a lot of deep knowledge and wisdom into the opportunities and challenges involved. We hope you enjoy hearing Bob's insights. Bob Donaldson, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Peter, glad to be here.
0: Why did you start an online school?
1: Well, we started Wilson Hill Academy uh, primarily on the grounds of uh, making education more accessible. uh, Where there are a lot of people who don't have access to a high quality uh, classical Christian education, a school that doesn't compromise either academics or the Christian worldview. Or maybe they do have access to it, but they can't afford it. So whether it's geographical or financial reasons, uh, the economies that the uh, internet brings allow us to do a good job of, of educating students. Uh, you know, whether they live in uh, in Miami or Minneapolis or Muleshoe, Texas, and uh, and we can do it for anywhere from a fifth to a half of what it might cost to go to a private school. So. Uh, it's a pretty compelling uh, argument for doing it that way.
0: What is the mission of Wilson Hill Academy and how did it come about?
1: Well, uh, my wife and I have been involved in the classical Christian school movement since about 1992 and so uh, we're not new to that. I was on the board of uh, the National Board of the Association of Classical Christian Schools for about 20 years. and uh, and. We just felt like there was a need for this kind of education to be more accessible. And so uh, looking around for someone to do it and not seeing anyone, we decided we would do it. And, uh, and so we, we put it together with the idea of providing college-bound students with a classical Christian education, one that prepares them for success in college, one that it teaches them how to think, not what to think, and uh and gives them the tools to process uh information sort of as far as uh as far as their own educational pursuits will take them uh our goal is to help uh, each child uh reach uh, his or her full potential um in terms of uh, both education and life
0: when you started what
1: were the greatest challenges you faced well in many ways it was like any other startup uh to 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 launch something like this requires you to have a big vision. Um, but to, but you usually have very few hands when you get it started. And that was certainly the case with us. Uh, uh, we were doing pretty much everything. We'd recruited a dozen or so really good teachers from around the country. And that was the big uh, step up. Uh, and you know, maybe even that teacher recruitment is one of the biggest challenges, because like any other business here, too, Uh, attracting and retaining the highest quality employees is going to be your key to success. And so we uh, had to come up with a financial model that that allowed us to do that, as well as an educational model. And and, um, I think we've been pretty successful both in the beginning and since then in in attracting those uh, master teachers.
0: What is your philosophy
1: for a master teacher? Well, we want people who first of all love God and second of all love their subjects, that they're learners uh, and that they love the students. They recognize that that education is a relationship and it's a relationship where they share their excitement and their knowledge and wisdom about their subject uh, with their students and stir up that same degree of love and excitement in the students for that particular subject. And uh, so that's really what we're what we're looking for. We talk a lot about uh, it takes a good teacher is a good learner. So someone who has reached some sort of pinnacle of learning and and just wants to share their wisdom without continuing to learn themselves is probably not a good fit. Or someone who is impressed with um, how much more they know than the fourteen year olds they're teaching is probably not a good fit. Uh, so that's. Kind of in a nutshell, what we what we see as a master teacher.
0: You talk about the relationship and the importance of that. How do you uh, overcome the difficulties of distance learning and through technology to uh, enable your teachers to have good relationships with their students?
1: Sure, that's a really that's a really good question. And there are a lot of people in education in a variety of different areas who uh, sort of look askance at uh, online education and. When I look at some of the things people are doing in areas, I can kind of understand that to a degree. But what we need to realize is that that technology has always been changing. Um, uh, writing systems were introduced, which meant that the an education system built on the oral model had to had a new technology you could take advantage of. The printing press was introduced. And suddenly, uh, you could learn by acquiring books or even visiting a library. Imagine that. Um, and, and so we really look at the internet and video conferencing uh, technology and some of the learning management systems that are out there as just another means to uh, to really take the distance out of distance learning and to be able to help these uh, students to to grow and we because of the advances in video conferencing technology, there is a lot of, of real personal interaction going on in these classes. We're, we have 100% live online classes. We don't have any canned content that, and self-paced. We do have a self-paced uh, system for some uh, remedial efforts, You know, sort of an algebra refresher kind of a class or something like that. But for the main classes, they're really online. And there's an amazing level of interaction. And then... We do have, uh, on an annual basis, we actually have a get-together. We call it Link every year, but we had a get-together where we have commencement and graduation ceremonies for our graduates and, and uh, sort of a family camp kind of an environment. We did it at the uh, Y camp in Adestus Park in Colorado last year, and we had, I think, over 500 people who came. And, uh, and it's just fascinating to see these kids interact with each other when they've seen them mostly... Only online, but also the kids and the teachers. And the teachers will just sit at a big picnic table or something, and the students will just crowd around and and just ask questions about things. And so it really is a very informal learning, but informal relationship environment as well. And there there are some other things we do. We have a house system. We divide all the students from seventh grade and above into houses, and uh, they have some informal competitions on a variety of things. And and we have clubs. We have a a junior classical league club, which is very well attended, but we're doing things like chess club and drama club and things like that, that the kids get together um, online. Uh, Some of the teachers will sponsor things like a movie night. And so what they'll do is they'll they'll all get a, a movie that they have access through Netflix or whatever it might be. And it's sort of like a countdown, three, two, one, start, and then they're in the the Zoom room discussing the movie as they're each watching it separately. So we do a lot of things like that that uh, help to build relationships. Where do your
0: students and where do your teachers come from?
1: Well, really, all over. We've uh, we've never had all fifty states represented in any given year, but we usually have forty-eight or forty-nine, and we have had all fifty at one time or another. Uh, we've. We currently have, I think, 48 states and 15 foreign countries represented with our uh, population, including several provinces in Canada. Um, and uh, and they come from big places and little places. We've got students in New York City and uh, Seattle, and we've got students, as I said, in Muleshoe, Texas.
0: How do they hear about
1: you? Well, if we knew that, we'd be about three times as big. I don't know. Uh, we, uh, there are a lot of, uh, online forums for, uh, homeschoolers and a lot of our families, uh, as I say, they're looking for this kind of education and if they can't find it, they'll homeschool. Uh, but at some point, you know, they hit the ceiling on that. They're just not able to do a good job with the academics across all the subjects, especially with multiple kids and, uh, and to really prepare them for college. And there's a lot of community. Uh, uh, What community forums and things like that for homeschoolers. And uh, we enjoy a pretty good reputation on a lot of those. And I think that there's just sort of a word of mouth that goes on.
0: So what are the main advantages? And in a minute, I'll ask you the disadvantages of comparing Wilson Hill Academy to a traditional brick and mortar school.
1: Well, I think uh, the advantages are that I mean, there are several. The advantages are that we really do, because of the size and scale, we do uh, have the ability to attract uh, really well-qualified teachers, teachers who enjoy the the freedom of working from home. The they enjoy the sort of academic flexibility that they have to to tailor their courses, um, and and they also uh, enjoy the the uh, just the the opportunity. To reach so many kids around the country uh, with their with their teaching, and so that's one uh, one real advantage. Another real advantage we have, I think, is as I said earlier, financial. Um, if if you're not uh, if you're not happy with the government schools in your area, and you are not uh, you, or you at least cannot easily afford the private schools, you know this is really a good opportunity because uh, for anywhere from twenty to fifty percent of the cost of a typical uh, uh, Christian school or even non-Christian private school, we can uh, we can provide as good or better an education in terms of the the approach. So I think that I think that's those are the two primary uh, the two primary advantages right there.
0: What are the challenges?
1: Well, the challenges are that. Uh, As I said earlier, the the Internet, the technology always provides us new means to deliver education. And the challenges are to be sure that we're taking advantage of the new means as opposed to trying to make the make them fit the old means. So there are things that you can do in a live classroom that you can't do online. uh, But there are things you can do online that you can't do in a live classroom. And so uh, getting teachers to be creative and the way they adapt and adopt the new technology uh, is really the, the, an ongoing challenge and we we do a lot of work on teacher training and and uh, every year we have uh, what we call our launch where both new and veteran teachers get together and they share some of the things that are working and some things are not working and try to overcome those sorts of things. But uh, but that's always the ongoing thing and, and in fact if you talk to people who dismiss online education, you very often find that they've had very limited experience with a rather poor implementation, uh, an implementation that tried to make it work like a, a, a real bricks and mortar classroom. And it just doesn't quite work that way. It accomplishes the same things, but, uh, but you just have to operate a little differently as a teacher and to some extent, even as a student.
0: So right now, what are the what have been the most helpful tools, online tools, technological tools that you found that have been really able to enhance the learning opportunity, uh, the learning experience of your
1: pupils? Sure. Well, the the probably the the biggest one is uh, Canvas, which is a, a learning management system that is broadly used in universities and and uh, colleges around the country and around the world. I guess. Uh, but it's a very, very powerful system that allows teachers to set up uh, uh, classes to uh, make and assign uh, work to, for students to submit the work, to uh, have quizzes, some automatic graded, some, uh, some manually graded. it provides a communication platform. Um, it just lets so much go on in terms of managing the educational process for the class so that's the probably the biggest thing and then uh, the other side of that is uh is the live classroom itself and um, we're we've been using zoom now for a couple of years we had to kind of laugh when everybody was scrambling to uh, go online with zoom here earlier this spring and uh and we were able to help a number of schools trying to do that just because of our experience with it we had originally started with Adobe Connect, which is another um, online tool, and, and there are advantages and disadvantages of those two tools, but one of the things we really like about Zoom is the ability for um, many students to be on the webcam sort of all at once. And so it really does provide some of that, some of the visual cues that, a, that an online, that a, or that a bricks and mortar classroom has. And, uh, and we see that as being a very uh, important aspect of the, of the environment. And you know, there are other tools as well, but, uh, but we're very, very happy with Zoom.
0: How do you get feedback from parents? How do you get them to interact um, with what you're doing in the classroom?
1: That's, a, that's back to the, the Canvas uh, technology, I suppose, is one way we do it. The parents are all loaded into the Canvas classes as what Canvas refers to as a linked observer, so uh, mom and dad each have their own account, or they have one that they share. Uh, they can log in anytime they want to. They can monitor their students' progress and grades. They can communicate directly with the teachers. The teachers can communicate directly with the parents. It's very much like you would have in in any normal school. Uh, you know, parent-teacher conferences can be set up if they if they're needed. But it's sort of an expectation we have of our teachers that, uh, that they stay in touch with the parents about the child's progress, especially if there's a sudden change, right? If, some, if, if something really good has happened, we want to encourage that to continue. And if something good stops happening, we want to get involved before it you know, goes completely south. Mm-hmm.
0: Parents most frustrated about with their experience of their children that um, that brings them to Wilson Hill Academy in the first place.
1: Well, I think uh, I'm not sure frustration is the right uh, is the right term there. But as I say, a lot of our families have been homeschoolers. They've looked around when their child was six or seven, and they've thought, "How hard can this be?" Which Of course are the five scariest words in the english language um and they have uh they have begun to homeschool and then as the older child gets into somewhere fifth sixth seventh eighth grade you know it turns out that mom never did like math but she doesn't really want to teach the child not to like math or or dad really never never did understand history but he doesn't want to leave his uh, child with that sort of blind spot and they begin to look around for how can I do this, not only for the oldest one who's now in fifth and sixth grade, but for the three younger ones that are coming along. And and this is where we come in because we can provide uh, one class as a supplement all the way up to a full-time load. We're fully accredited so the child can uh, graduate with an accredited diploma and get into any university, and and they really can then grow Uh, beyond uh, perhaps the limitations of time and ability that the parents have in homeschooling. Uh, The other place we get people are people who are in uh, a bricks-and-mortar school of some kind, and they just, uh, for whatever reason, it's not working. It may not be working financially. It may not be working for any of the many reasons that things just don't work and uh uh, and so that's that's an opportunity for them to to try something that gets the parent a little bit more involved sometimes the problem with bricks and mortar schools is that uh that you the parent can feel sort of excluded on the basis of lack of expertise or something like that and so uh, that can sometimes lead to them looking for something like wilson hill
0: do you have any students that come because their their families travel a lot and it's hard for them to have roots?
1: That's a that's a great question, and it's it's uh, actually it could expand on that some because not only do we have uh, traveling families, travel itself is a tremendous education, and uh, and so we have students who attend from different places around uh the country or around the world in fact as i've taught taught from those places because i've done a lot of international traveling as part of a consulting business that i've had going before i got full time into this and I, so i've taught from multiple continents but uh, but we also have for instance military families who move a lot they move every two or three years and if you're not careful you get the same year of of whatever history th- they taught in sixth grade at one place you get it the next year in seventh grade at the next place. And, and, are uh, you, are you go back and forth from one math curriculum to another? And, and it just is confusing. And so they have a consistent and coherent scope of sequence and a consistent peer group. Um, uh, you know, whether they're stationed in Germany for a season or, or whether they're, you know, back in North Carolina while dad's in Afghanistan or whatever it might be. And so, uh, so that really is a big uh, a big push the other area and this is sort of similar is we have a lot of uh student athletes you know tennis players or or uh, gymnasts we have uh musicians and other folks involved in performance art of some kind i had a uh, had a, a semi professional dancer in one of my classes this last year uh and uh so that's that gives, because of the way we do our classes, um, that gives them a lot more flexibility. They can attend most or all the classes live. They can watch a recording if they happen to have to miss a class because of a particular event. And they can uh, they can do their homework from the hotel uh, where they're getting ready for the big competition on Saturday.
0: So lots of different types of families. Is there a common thread between them that makes them a good fit for Wilson Hill Academy?
1: Sure, I think they're, they're they, all have a real interest in their child's educational process. They they don't want to just mail it in or or send them off to some expert and say you know send them back when they're educated. Uh, they're philosophically committed to this sort of classical Christian approach to education that. That takes advantages of the, uh, the the classical methodology and pedagogy that uh, that teaches students how to think, not what to think. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, opportunities for students to learn what to think from a variety of sources, and um, and that's really not helpful. We want to teach them how to analyze arguments and synthesize their own, and and um, uh, understand hypothesis and synthesis and antithesis and all those sorts of things. And, and, uh, and so parents who are looking for that sort of a tools of learning approach are very often attracted to, to what we do. One of the things I have used to talk to people at uh, educational talks a lot is that the problem with a lot of education is that it teaches the currently popular answers to the currently popular questions. And the problem is both the questions and the answers change over time. And then where are you? So we need to teach the kids how to think up the question and how to research the answers uh, and how to analyze someone else's answer. And that sort of protects them from uh, from a lot of, kind of different kinds of brain brainwashing.
0: So you've been going for quite a few years now. What do you hear from parents? What do you hear from students about their experience? What do they say about Wilson Hill Academy?
1: Well, we're, we're hearing a lot of good things. We had a, a great uh, letter from one of our parents, uh, as a matter of fact. In fact, it's probably on our blog, on our website somewhere. We liked it that well. But, uh, but she said that she had been homeschooling a number of kids for uh, some time, and she is actually a teacher by trade herself. Uh, so she kind of knew what she was talking about. And she said that she noticed uh, about a year ago that always before when the kids would run into friends at church or the grocery store or wherever they would, and they, they said, where do you go to school? I said, well, we're homeschooled. And they began to answer instead, well, we go to Wilson Hill Academy. And so there's this this sense of, of real connection and belonging that we've been able to uh, to create for people. And I think that's really significant.
0: What has surprised you the most since you started?
1: Oh, I don't know. So many things have surprised me. I'm sure, not sure exactly what to say is the most surprising. But um, but I think uh, there's always a, a little bit of hesitancy when you go forward with something and you have a vision, you, you sort of think you know what people ought to want, but uh, but do they really want it? Will they want it? But what, what, what will be the response? And so I think the the fact that we've had consistent growth uh, over the years, uh, almost always exceeding our expectations. Uh, you asked the question earlier: How do people find out about us? And and as I said, we really don't know, but somehow they do. And we have uh, we've had consistent growth as people have found out about us, and and that's been, I guess, at least a little bit of a surprise to us. We, uh, we knew there would be people who wanted this, but um, it just seems to be uh, an ever-growing body of, of people who are interested.
0: Obviously, the global pandemic has changed things. Have you seen people come to you because of that at all?
1: Yeah, and, and that is, you can't avoid the, uh, uh, the, the current events aspect of this. And uh, we have had people come. We were able this spring uh, because of the way we do our our approach, we were able to pull together archives of some of our uh, classes and make them available just for free to people who were suddenly homeschooling for the first time. And uh, and a number of those have thought, you know, gee, maybe this maybe this would actually work well live because those archives are actually you're sitting in on the live class. So you're seeing the participation, even if uh, due to the recorded nature, you're not participating yourself. And it gives a good flavor of what our classes are. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know how many of your uh, listeners are familiar with the book of Esther, but there's a line there where Mordecai says to Esther, who knows whether you were brought here for a time such as this. And historically, uh, Esther intervenes with the king of Persia to protect the Jewish nation in exile there. It's kind of a fascinating story, really, both from the Bible and from history. But that's kind of the way we feel with this COVID-19. You know, when we started this school seven years ago, we certainly didn't plan on uh, being an an easy option for people who hit the pandemic, but uh, but that's turned out to be the case. And we probably have... uh, have seen an uptick, especially in some of our upper grammar grammar level students, fifth, sixth, seventh grade students, uh, that are that is at least partly due to the to the uncertainty around the COVID nineteen.
0: What is yet to be accomplished that you would like to see in terms of your mission? What technology or approach do you wish that existed that you could maybe plug into what you're doing that doesn't quite exist at the moment?
1: Well, you know, there's there's so much so much technology out there uh, it's hard to imagine you know you when you look at, at all the things going on with virtual reality uh, there certainly is a place for virtual reality and visualizing historical events and things like that but what would really be interesting to me would be what if what if we had uh, a, a much more 3d kind of a web conferencing platform that was really affordable so that you really could all sit around the same table instead of, uh, instead of just seeing the flat screen. Um, those are the kinds of things that might be interesting. Um, uh, a lot of that, you know, what it seems to me, and I've been involved in computers for 50 years. And it seems to me that every time, uh, Every time we invent a faster computer, we invent three ways to use it better and, we, and it gets too slow. And, uh, and that I just can't imagine what it's gonna be like in 10 years with the technology there and all the smart people figuring out how to do interesting things with it. I think that if you'd said even 15 years ago that we could do a credible job of, of providing a classical education using, you know, multiple web cameras and an online meeting platform. uh, I don't think people would have known how to process that statement, much less to evaluate it. And I expect that's where we're going to be in another 15 years, too.
0: So what do you think the future of education will look like? Some of those are unknown, of course, but do you have any inkling?
1: Well, I think, I think that the costs uh, are going to, uh, drive people to some sort of a hybrid approach, so some some much increased use of technology in the delivery of, of the education. And I'm, I'm not referring to these sort of uh, massive online uh, classes or the, the plethora of uh, canned courses that you can get. Those things probably are a better analog for a library than for a classroom. But... Um, but I think there, that people are going to be uh, more or less driven to multiply the impact of good teachers and to reduce the overall cost of the physical plant and the administrative overhead uh, and those sorts of things. And, uh, and I, I, I'm hopeful that uh, the school choice movement will pick up in a way that really stimulates that kind of uh, creativity and that kind of innovation. Um, I think that the more different kinds of things we try, the more confident we'll be when we hit on the right thing, when we hit on something that really does connect the teacher with the student, with the subject, with the enthusiasm. And, um, and I, I just can't see us going forward in a 1960s approach to education any more than we could see in the 1960s doing it in the 1860s uh you know lincoln got a pretty good education at home in his famous log cabin but i don't know that uh, that my parents were eager to send me to that kind of a school and i don't think that uh, the parents today are going to be eager to send their uh their students to the the traditional bricks and mortar with all the, the costs uh and all the inefficiencies that are in there
0: so looking back at the last seven years Are you glad you started this school?
1: Are we glad we started the school? We absolutely are. And, but the interesting thing is, I don't know how we could not have started it. Uh, I've cared about education. I learned to care about education sitting around my kitchen table with my dad and mom. And I really have ever since. And when we were sitting around our kitchen table with our children, we cared about education. And, uh, uh, Combine that with my background in technology and my my interest in in sort of the global picture of things, I, we just sort of couldn't avoid this call to start something that would uh, that would make a difference in people's lives. Um, it's it's interesting. You, uh, we are a classical Christian school, so we rely heavily on the biblical worldview and what we do. And there's this. Uh, repeated theme, uh, from history in the book of Judges, where, uh, it says another generation arose in Israel that did not know the Lord and did not know the things that he had done. And, and I think that's a general commentary on how easy it is for us to forget education and forget our history. Uh, you know, there's a the famous phrase that if you forget your history, uh, you're doomed to repeat it. And, uh, I heard some WAGs say that, no, if you remember your history, you're doomed to sit around and watch everybody else repeat it. But uh, but either way, I think that, that that kind of generational impact that education provides, just by its very nature, we're we're impacted by people from previous generations when we read those things, and we impact future generations when we teach them how to read them and how to analyze them and apply them in their circumstances. And so for all those reasons, we just couldn't not start Wilson Hill Academy.
0: Is there a need for more online schools?
1: I think there is, yes. Uh, I, I think there's, there, um, I don't remember how many millions of, of uh, homeschool oriented uh, students there are out there, but uh, it's, it's a huge number. And, uh, and certainly there are uh, different approaches that one could take to this kind of education, different uh, kinds of scheduling and, and, and even uh, pedagogical approaches. And as I said, I'm all for school choice. I think the, the more different options that we have, the more likely we are to, to, uh, to all benefit from choosing the best that's on offer.
0: So what advice do you have for someone who wants to start their own online school?
1: Um, just remember that uh, those five scariest words in the English language, how hard can it be? Um, there's, there's a lot of work, a lot of trial and effort, and a lot of uh, sort of complications that you're not going to see until you get in the middle of it. Um, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, uh, you know, once you get out in the middle, you're pretty much going downstream, but, uh, but it's only then that you begin to see some of the, the rocks and, and eddies and the dangers, and you just have to be paying attention and, and steering around them. And, um, so I would, I would encourage uh, people who want to start something like this to, to think about it carefully and then jump in and, and work hard. Uh, welcome to the space.
0: What are the best books and resources that you've read that you've been influenced by? Maybe even referred to today that other people, that other listeners listening, uh, can can refer to and read for themselves.
1: Um, that's that's a good question too. I think um, uh, probably my two favorite books in the area of education are uh, Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book for the children's sake, who uh, really brings to life the nineteenth uh, century educator Charlotte Mason and talks about living books and love of learning and and, and how to, to really stimulate that desire to learn, uh, primarily among uh, grammar school students, although it has applicability above. And the other one would be um, a book by Douglas Wilson, no relationship to Wilson Hill Academy, by the way, but uh, Douglas Wilson has a book called Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning, where he once again brings into the modern World, uh, an essay by Dorothy Sayers, who uh, who wrote in the middle of the 20th century on teaching students essentially how to think instead of what to think, teaching them the, the tools that they need to then attack anything for themselves. And I think those two books have been foundational in, uh, in my thinking about uh, education. I could easily name a dozen more, but I'd probably get at least one of the titles and at least two of the authors wrong. So I'll just leave it to your listeners to pursue that. But those are good places to start.
0: Is there a thought you want to leave our listeners with today?
1: Yes, I think so. I think that um, one thought I would leave you with is that education is not and can never be neutral. Uh, Education is about pursuing truth, beauty, and goodness, And uh, and truth, beauty and goodness can't be things that you sort of add on later uh, after you've learned your math facts. Uh, There really is a sense in which um, uh, teaching students how to think also points them at uh, at how to analyze things and how to uh, how to be consistent in their own worldview, whatever that might be. We're Christians at Wilson Hill Academy. That's our worldview. But it, so we would believe, for instance, that God matters everywhere. God is not something that you just sort of add on later as an afterthought. If, if the God of the Bible is real, then he's not an afterthought. And, but you know, other, others of your listeners may come to a different conclusion about that, but what I would encourage all of you listening to do is to recognize that there really can be no neutrality here, that, that uh, whether God is there or not matters. Uh, who God is matters. Uh, what your worldview is matters. There's a sense in the, in the postmodern world that sort of we all create our own reality But if we all create our own reality, then essentially none of us have one, and um, that just can't be right. So that that would be the thought I'd leave, that there really is no neutrality in education, and um, learning how to think, uh, I think, will make that clear as well.
0: Bob Donaldson, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your thoughts. Uh, It's been great to hear about Wilson
1: Hill Academy. Thank you, Peter. i enjoyed uh, chatting with you about it some.
0: My guest today was Bob Donaldson from Wilson Hill Academy. If you want to find out more about Bob or about Wilson Hill Academy, go to wilsonhillacademy.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, tell your friends. See you next time.